0: long for the milk this is the main point of the passage this command to long for desire or to crave this nourishment spiritual nourishment from God's word as we're going to see and that's my hope for this morning for us as a church that together our souls will be hungry I don't just mean this morning while we gather, but that we will have an increasing hunger, longing, craving for the nourishment from God that we so desperately need, and that we'll have this, in, this these intense, steady cravings for God's word. That the, that it won't just be the, that we won't just be a church that thinks highly of the Bible. That we won't be a, just be a church that that tolerates what the scriptures say. That we won't just have kind of an academic interest in the scriptures. But to together, not just individually, but together, we will have a deep longing for pure spiritual milk. And so, we're just going to see five ways this morning that we're to, to crave this nourishment from God together. And the first one is with just that simple little conjunction there. And uh, in, in, in verse 1, and it's, this, it's to crave with a pulse. Crave with a pulse, a spiritual pulse. Look at verse 1, it's a little word, so, or in some of your translations maybe, therefore. So the chapter break here is very unfortunate and that's why I intentionally wanted to read starting in chapter 1. The chapter divisions were not inspired by God. Those were added much later. But Peter's making a a connection that's very clear and very important between verse 1 of chapter 2 and what precedes it. And so this is what that little inferential particle is there in in verse verse 1. So in verses 22 to 25, we read this just a moment ago, he calls them, he calls us to love one another. Again, why? Since you have been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And so we've been born again, regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God through the imperishable, living, abiding word of God. That's what he's just said. And so the new birth is the work of God. It is, as, as theologians say, it's monergistic. It's something he's done all by himself. It's not synergistic, meaning we we kind of working. God was working with us to, to that we would cause ourselves to be born again with His enabling, or something like that, where He meets us halfway, or something like that, or even the fact that He might meet us ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the way, but we make the little the little bit that's left, and we no, that's not it. It's God's doing. Scripture is very clear on this. We do believe. But even that faith to lay hold of Christ. It is not autonomous from God's gracious working in our lives. So this is important to see. And so all who have been born again by God. Now live. And we will never die. Because we are born through this imperishable seed. And this word that we have been by which we've been born, is living and it's abiding. And so our new life, given as a, as, a, as a gift from God, will last forever. We are secure forever in the family of God, because God has caused us to be born again into His family. And so the newborn cravings He's going to call us to, remember that's the basic sentence, long for pure spiritual milk. Those newborn cravings we're going to be commanded to, are only possible because we have been reborn by God. Craving spiritual nourishment is only possible because we have life. Life given by God. We have a spiritual pulse. And that's, that's the first thing. So over and over in this letter, we've already seen this, and so we're going to see it throughout this letter. Peter roots his commands in these settled realities, these objective Truths and here, since we've been born again by the Word, long for the pure milk of the Word. That's that's the first thing. So crave with pulse. Second, crave with purity. Crave with purity. We see this at, on in verse one there. So put away or putting away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and evil and excuse me, an envy and all slander. So before we get to that most basic part of the sentence, again, one long sentence in the Greek, but, but one key part there, long for the pure spiritual moment. Before we get there, Peter tells us there are some things we have to put off in our pursuit of nourishment from God's word together. And, and, and as he sins our given room to grow we give them space in the garden of our life and we we give them room to grow and fertilize them and we allow them to flourish in our lives and in our church family if that happens we will never be able to maintain a strong craving for the scriptures together so just imagine just this mental image here we have uh, church picnic next Sunday, so maybe that's the image you want to have in your mind. But imagine our church, our entire church family, everybody here, and those that aren't able to be here today. But we're all, we're all gathered around this a massive banquet table together for a lavish feast. So just this unbelievably large table full of the finest of foods. And so the best meats and the tastiest sides and these sumptuous desserts and so just this everything the best foods you can imagine they're there right in front of you it's all hot it's all ready to be consumed and so prime rib and lobster and and uh the stouts tacos and uh rachel cinnamon rolls i mean the the best anything brooke makes so i gotta get that in there but uh so the finest foods are there And so our church family's around, sitting around this table, all this beautiful food, smelling it, and and just salivating. and, And we're just seeing this ready to dig in. And now imagine, though, someone coming along with buckets full of rotting compost. This is from J.K.'s compost pile. And so you can just imagine the chicken poop and deer guts and grass clippings and Kitchen scraps, all that stuff in there. So, but they they got buckets full, and and they just start taking handfuls out and throwing it all over the food. Well, what's just happened to our desire for this amazing meal that's been so skillfully prepared? It's gone instantly. We don't want. I don't want to eat that anymore. It's, It's disgusting, and so I don't. I don't care how much I like the food. That's, that was prepared it, with the rotting compost over it. I, I have no, no desire to eat it anymore. Well, that's the same effect that sin has upon our desire for God's word. So with, with these sins contaminating our lives and, and our body, our church body, we won't have a collective appetite for the pure word. So Peter says, if we're going to crave nourishment from God, which is what we're commanded to, through His, through his Word, we must resolve to put away these sins. And they're toxic in a church, and in a family, and in a life. And so he says, putting away these, casting them aside, it's used of taking off filthy clothes. And, and, and notice three times in, in this list of five sins, that little article all he's emphasizing totality it's not that we just kind of try to try to maintain and contain these sins in the church and kind of keep them on a short leash and keep them under control and in check no he says you put away all of it you don't don't contain it just cast it aside and what does he list talks about malice, which in the Greek is just a general word for wickedness, for badness. It, it was often, though, used in the context of relationships, so it, it has the idea of having an end for somebody, using our words or our deeds to hurt somebody, desiring their hurt with our words and deeds. And then deceit, just the, the literal idea behind this is baiting a hook, setting a snare. We, I know we apparently have a lot of youth fishermen in this church and so you have a lure and you're trying to disguise from that bass or that crappie or whatever it is that, that the, the hook and so you have a lure, the fake minnow or something like that to, to, to you're using deception and guile to catch the fish, that's fine but if that comes into a church, that's not good The seed is harming others through trickery, through deception lying or omitting the truth for personal gain. That's dangerous in a church. Or hypocrisy. It comes from a Greek theater related to uh, actors who would get on stage and wear a mask and hide their true self. Okay, that's fine on, in theater, but how does that show up in a church where we have a congregation of people who are pretending to be something they're not? are masking inward evil with kind of an outward show of righteousness. Hypocrites, hypocrites go to great lengths to look good on the outside, knowing that's not the way they are on the inside. And so there's this projection of a false image to people, spiritual insincerity, pretense. When the gospel, listen brothers and sisters, when the gospel is not our lifeblood, and when I say that, I mean when, when, when we, we we don't have this sense that salvation is resting upon Christ and Him alone, not our performance, not our morality, not our devotion, not our faithfulness, when that's the case, hypocrisy will thrive. Because there's going to be this compelling desire to appear to have it all together. So the answer is not clean up myself, and that way the outside will actually reflect the inside. No, we need the gospel that speaks to us and starts and changes us on the inside. And so this this hypocrisy, again, it's so poisonous in a church. And he says envy. This attitude of resentment over the blessings that other people around you enjoy. It's closely related to jealousy. And so it's resentment of another person because of what they have and what you wish you you had. And this this can show up in... Thousands of different ways. I mean, we can envy others in the kind of more common ways of, of other people's abilities or their wealth or their, their health even. Um, nice But nicer home, nicer car, those kinds of more obvious ways. But parents, listen, we can envy other parents because of the, the, uh, the academic or athletic abilities that other kids have. We don't see that in our own children. Or maybe even you have grown children and, and, and your kids are adults, but you see other parents with grown children and they have better careers. and So there can be envy. Well, you can, again, you can just... It's the opposite of thankfulness for the good that others have. Being thankful for them, for God's grace. It, it leads to grudges, bitterness, hatred, conflict. And again, it's poisonous and deadly in a church. We Become a bunch of angry, uh, vengeful, resentful, grouchy, <laughs> judgmental, re- miserable, critical people when, when envy is allowed to take root in a congregation. And then last on the list is slander. It just means to speak down. Rather than building others up with our words, it's it's tearing people down, slandering, using words to harm another person, to harm their reputation, to harm their status, so a kind of defamation of character. And this, this takes all kinds of different forms. It could be gossip, or kind of backbiting, or spreading rumors, passing along bad reports, assigning motives, taking cheap shots, using humor to hurt others, disparaging comments, twisting the truth to make someone else look bad. It can be just... A subtle way, a raised eyebrow that kind of casts another person in a negative light. Veiled accusations. Even just a sympathetic ear where, you're, where you find yourself always listening to and taking in gossip and slander. So, Peter says, putting aside all of these things, then long for the pure milk. And so, what's the common denominator between all five of these particular sins? They're all horizontal. They all have to do with people. Of course, we know all sin is ultimately vertical. It's all against God. But these sins and others like them, they're, they're also directly against people. And in the context of brothers and sisters in Christ, in the church. So these relational sins will hinder our kind of collective craving of nourishment from God. If we're turned in on ourselves, if we're turned against others, we, we, we are longing for God's nourishment through his word. We'll, we'll be very weak. And So his list of sins here, it's not certainly not exhaustive. There's all kinds of other sins that he could have added in this list, but it's representative of the kinds of things that can be disastrous in a church and can kill that craving, that hunger that we need to have for pure spiritual milk. And so the way we treat one another has a direct impact and connection to how hungry we are from nourishment from God. That's what we see here. And and therefore, how much we will grow. And so that's true of individual Christians. That's true of us together as a church body. And so when we, we can have a whole slate of programs as a church, we can have a slick website with thousands of sermons on there and, and be so happy with that. We can have beautiful facilities, state of the art, and everything just, you know, everything's just clicking around here. But, but these, if these poisonous sins, if we don't put them away, they will choke the life out of us. Because it will cut off the hunger for nourishment from God that we are made to need and depend upon. And therefore we will not grow. We can have appearance of growth and of health, but it will not be reality. And so when we see these sinful, but if we were honest, painfully common sins. and Attitudes in our hearts, when we see these in our lives and in our flock. Let's resolve, brothers and sisters, to throw them off by God's grace. I know we're tempted and we find ourselves stumbling into these sins and, 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 and often in many different ways. But brothers and sisters, let's, by God's grace, with the help of the Holy Spirit, let's resolve again to put these away in our church family. They do not belong. So we want to crave with a spiritual pulse. We want to crave with purity. And then we get to the core of the, of the passage. It's crave with passion. We have this little modifier attached to the main idea, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. So again, just coming back to that basic Form of the sentence. Long for it. Just to crave, to desire intensely and frequently, repeatedly. That's the idea of this verb. It's a very strong verb. And, and we're to long for spiritual milk. That's a kind of an ambiguous uh, uh, expression. And, and I realize some of your translations uh, translate this differently. Some of your Bible versions. So spiritual is what the ESV translates this. It can simply mean, it's kind of figurative, not literal. So long for spiritual, figurative milk, not literal milk. And so this isn't a promotion of the, like, the Got Milk campaign or something like that. That's not, we're talking about cow's milk. But but what actually what actually is the spiritual milk? What is he talking about? Well, the context, context makes it clear that this is the Word of God. I, I could give you several reasons for making this connection. This is, and so the New American Standard, for instance, translates it this way. Long for the pure milk of the word now that is an interpretation not a literal translation but i think it's a good interpretation given the context and given what the scriptures say And this this is not a new analogy in scripture and i think it's one peter's readers understood clearly given the context and even the word that's used for spiritual is a it's kind of a it's, it's related to the word for word logos but, but what but I want you to think about it. Okay, so we're saying what he's saying is long for the spiritual, pure spiritual milk of the word. Okay, we got that. But think about how that sounded to Peter's readers. I know we, we listen to this and we read this through the lens of our situation and our life, which is fine, but they didn't carry around leather bound Bibles to church on Sunday with all 66 books in there. And pulling one of many off the shelf. They, they didn't have a, a Bible app on their smartphones. Um, they, they di- when they heard the word of God, they did think of the written word. Scriptures. Like we do. But all that they knew of the written word of God was what they heard orally when they were gathered with God's people. That's what they had and what they had memorized. They didn't have copies of the Bible to carry around personally. So I'm certainly not saying that we shouldn't, by application of this, we shouldn't be encouraged to, you know, read and study and meditate upon and memorize our Bibles alone. Absolutely you should. And I hope that that's very clear from this. It's, it, we are privileged in ridiculous ways to have Bibles in our laps like you are enjoying right now. That is a glorious privilege. It's God's grace. But don't just see this text through the lens of personal Bible study. Maybe you're not like me, but this is how I've always kind of viewed this passage. It's about me and my Bible and how I need to long for it more individually as a person. I don't think that's how Peter's readers understood this. When they, when they heard this command, which was a plural command, you, brothers and sisters, long for the pure milk of the word. They thought assembly. They thought scriptures being read publicly and preached and expounded. Even in smaller groups, that's that's probably the context in which they're thinking. So I just say that. Don't minimize what happens in the assembly. The Lord's Day. It's God's wisdom to call the church to gather on the first day of the week, on the Lord's Day. And, And so whenever we gather together as a church, this should be how we come. We're craving pure spiritual milk from God. Our Craving shouldn't just be private, but corporate. Not just something we do alone, but together. Not just something we do reading our Bibles in our bedroom, but but what we hear in our gatherings. Not either or, but just both and. So with all that said, let's let's get back. We're, we're saying the call is to crave with passion. When it comes to the Word of God, we, we have to desire it with passion like a newborn infant. Is how Peter says it. And I'm using the word passion to summarize that little expression. So imagine you're a new father. Some of you this is not hard to imagine cuz you are a new father and and that's exciting. But imagine you're a new father and your first child comes along, a little baby boy. And this little baby boy is is nursed. He's breastfed. And so as a little young baby, 1 month, 6 weeks old, your wife decides his mother decides she, she you make plans for it. She's going to go out for an evening with some friends. And assures you she will be back in time for your child's next meal. And so, and as the clock makes its way towards that time, that little, little bundle of joy starts to morph into this little maniac. <laughs> And it starts slowly, and first it's just a little wiggling and, and kind of squirming and, and then he gets more and more restless and then he starts to really get cranked up and red faced and I mean screaming bloody murder and arched back and I mean just inconsolable. You've seen this, I think, probably, if you've been around little babies. And so clock goes past the hour, mom spoke planned to return, and you have this little monster that you can't do anything with and And he reaches for you and grabs for you, and it moves all around your body it you can 't find anything worthwhile at all, Young father and so he he gets more and more consumed in his frantic search. You get more and more frustrated by your inability to provide what he needs and and, and finally, your wife comes through the door, "Ah, thank you, glad to see you and you say to her, "Not something sarcastic. Where have you been but you you lovingly, you, you, you consider what you're seeing transformed. This, this miracle, the way, the way God has made this baby to want and to need from his mom what nobody else can provide. And so you, you, you say, hey, do, do you understand what a powerful reaction is set up in this tiny little guy? <laughs> he doesn't just have kind of a marginal interest in what you provide him. It's not just like a little addendum onto his life, a fringe benefit of being your your son. No, this is to him everything, <laughs> milk from you. And so you hand him over and they take care of things. All right. So you, many of you have witnessed this transformation in the baby. That's my, that's my point. And so we've probably... I think all of us have heard the screams of a hungry infant, sometimes even in uh, this morning. I was hoping there would be one cued and ready, uh, but that's not happened. No, thank you for uh, your kindness there. But, but this is the image Peter uses to capture our longing for nourishment from God. This is what it should be like. Like a newborn infant. Now the point. I know we have in other places in scripture that analogy of the milk of the word, and in other places it's used about uh, maturity. And so you got you should be eating meat now, but you're the meat of the word. Now you're you're just still drinking milk, milk like babies. That's not his point here. That's not what Peter's saying. His point is to encourage this intense, insatiable appetite for the spiritual food that God says we desperately need. That's his point. So just, just think about this image of the nursing baby. I've been thinking about this this week and kind of laying it alongside what the scriptures say about the goodness of the word. And so this is it just some of Justin's thoughts and comparisons. I don't want to squeeze this too much, but I'll just think about this. So a few observations. One, milk is the sufficient nourishment for a baby. It's the sufficient nourishment. as All babies eat for the first few months of their lives is milk. <laughs> And, and in that milk is everything they need for growth. Bones and hair and skin and all, all, everything is needed in that, that milk. So with God's word, all the nourishment we need is to grow spiritually is, is here. Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise simple. We, we have what we need. Another observation. When a baby eats, he really eats. I mean, particularly if, if the baby is coming on an empty stomach, he, he starts gulping. And you can sometimes hear it across the room. I mean, it, it's frantic. It's like the baby's been told that you have five minutes and if you don't finish, sorry, you're done. And so, I mean, they're just, they're, they're just hungry and they, and they eat and they really eat. So with the word of God, we have to be eager, not just alone, but together. We, we come attentive in our gatherings. We're scouring through the Bible at home. We're, we're constantly meditating on it throughout the day. Psalm 119, verse 131, that great lengthy psalm, the longest chapter in the Bible about the Word of God. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. This, is, this should be us. Another observation. Milk is the only thing that will satisfy a newborn baby. Babies want milk. They don't want Dr. Pepper. I don't understand that. Uh, or brisket, or pizza. They want milk. Until a baby gets milk, he's not satisfied. Again, you make that connection. We, we can be busy with lots of Christian activity. We, we can do a lot of things. But ultimately, it's only the scriptures that will satisfy our souls. The law of your mouth, Psalm 119.72. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. And You can go many passages that speak of this. Another observation, babies are satisfied with milk. That's the only thing says, but they are satisfied. When a baby finishes feeding, you can visibly discern their contentment. I mean, full belly, life is good. And, and so with God's word. How sweet are your words to my mouth. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Psalm 119, 103. But then the other reality. Babies want milk frequently. They, they, they drink the milk, they're satisfied by it, but that doesn't last long. And a few hours later, they're on more. And so, I don't know, six, seven, eight, I forget how many times a day you feed a baby, but never is a baby ultimately satisfied. They, they always long for more. Again, so with God's word. Psalm 119, 164, seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. The, the idea is it's a continual thing for the psalmist and the word of God. His day is saturated with it. And then last observation. A baby's cry is his way of expressing his desire for milk. God made babies in such a way that that when their stomachs are empty it causes pain. And that pain makes them cry. Not a sinful cry, but a cry of need. And nothing can satisfy that except for milk. And again, see the connection. Psalm 119 verse 81 my soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? And so the, the point in all this, is we're talking about craving with passion, like a newborn infant. And this is the thing. We are, we are made to crave nourishment from God. This is what we've been designed. We're not, we're not justified by God's powerful saving grace only to then grow on our own. Self-sufficiently, like we have the, we draw on the resources from inside of ourselves. Not at all. No, salvation is of the Lord, all of it, from beginning to end. We never reach a place in our lives when we no longer need nourishment from the Lord. And so we never get to a place as a church. We never get to a place of maturity or, 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 or of age, a place in life where, where we don't need intense, repeated nourishment of pure spirit, spiritual milk from God. We never grow, outgrow that need. We need to crave constantly with, with this kind of intensity and frequency. Fourth way we need to crave nourishment from God is with purpose. Crave with purpose. And in the last half of verse 2, there's this little little purpose clause that's added to that simple sentence. So I didn't give the whole diagram of the sentence, but you could, we're, we, we're filling it out here and seeing where all of these things fit and how it fits together. There's a little purpose clause. Verse 2, again, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. Here it is, that, or so that, by it you may grow up into salvation. This is. The purpose, this is why you're to long for spiritual milk, so that you'll grow. So babies are made to crave milk so they'll grow. That's why he's still using the comparison, like newborn infants. Listen, we've seen this in context. God has made us new. He's caused us to be born again by the new birth. And therefore, he's called us to crave spiritual milk So that we will now grow. That's the connection. This is one of Peter's favorite themes. In not just 1 Peter. But 2 Peter. We're saved by grace. Our salvation is is, is secure. And we can be assured of it. And this inheritance we have. Is imperishable. It's being kept in heaven for us. And and we saw this in chapter 1. And we're being guarded. By the power of God. Until we lay hold of it. That's a settled reality. But that's not the end. We're we're to grow up in the salvation. We still haven't completely experienced. We haven't, we're not, we've not fully enjoyed all of everything concerning our salvation. So we're to to grow up into it. We still need to grow. We need to grow together, church. Always need to be growing together. And as we crave the pure milk of God's word, we'll keep growing and growing. It doesn't mean that our future salvation, is that, that final salvation, is, is kind of a question mark. It's dependent upon our growth. That's not the point at all. Peter has made that crystal clear already in this letter. No, But, but we, as those born by God, we don't live static lives. We, we don't live static lives together as a church. We're growing up in the grace of God in salvation. And so here's the principle, I think, as it relates to this simple sentence The better we eat, the more we'll grow, the better our growth will be. So, just in the physical realm, if you eat a diet of nothing but potato chips and cheese puffs and Twinkies, you're not going to grow very strong and healthy. <laughs> Or if you eat ice cream sandwiches and candy, you, you, you will grow, but it will be outward. And and uh, or if you go for days at a time without eating anything, you'll become anemic and weak and not healthy and strong. But a healthy, well balanced, con- consistent diet allows your body to grow and be be strong. That's that's the picture. So we're not we're not talking about physical body stewardship, but we are talking about stewardship of the body of christ and the members of it individually and and we must desire the word together with purpose we we need to grow we need to grow don't don't think that where you are now is 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 some in some kind of fatalistic way is where you're always going to be this is just who i am genetics family history Experiences i've walked through that it's just kind of locked me into this place where you know in a in a wrong twisted kind of way saying i 'm content this is just who i am i'm i, I can 't grow anymore from here and i 'm okay i 've kind of come to be okay with that don 't be okay with that don't don 't give in to that kind of wrong fatalism you no know, God commands us to crave this Crave this longing for pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up into salvation. Don't buy into that lie. We'll come back to that. Last last way we need to crave this nourishment from God is with pleasure. With pleasure. In its last little modifier, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So long for the pure spiritual milk. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. That, that little if... It, the grammar suggests it 'd probably be better to translate the sense it 's assumed to be true, and so if you 've tasted personal experience, uh, uh, not just kind of head knowledge but no i 've tasted i 've I've, I've ingested this reality that God is good his kindness is is great, and so this is an exact quotation that the Lord is good from Psalm 34. Patrick read this at the beginning of the service, verse eight. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. This is the, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's word for word here, and so and don't forget the context of First Peter. He's writing to suffering Christians, people who are ostracized and at odds with the culture around them and, and, and increasing uh, persecution, and, and they're alienated, they're scattered, they're, 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 they're difficult lives. And it's the same context of Psalm 34, actually. Patrick read through something. I sought the Lord, He answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. So, but this is what he's saying. Don't, don't forget that contest. He says, oh, that's nice. The Lord is good. No. Peter's writing to people. that are The heat is really being cranked up on them. And he says, even in times of suffering, remember, God, you're good and you're enough. Taste, if indeed you have, you have tasted that the Lord is good. And when he's talking, that expression, tasting the goodness, the kindness of the Lord, in context, I think it's very clear. That's a picture of salvation again being born again so since Peter's readers have tasted they've experienced the kindness of the Lord aka conversion they've been born again through God's word they should now crave nourishment from this good God's word if you've tasted of the Lord's kindness crave nourishment from him So, what he's saying since you have have you experienced the kindness of the Lord in your own life I mean in this way even What an amazing thing the gospel is. That we who have rebelled against the Lord and sinned against Him in in all kinds of ways, we can be brought near to Him by the blood of Christ. We don't have to pay for our sins because we can't. We don't have to prove ourselves before the Lord by our morality because it will never be enough. We, We don't have to make it up by spending years and years in purgatory. We, we we simply come to Jesus by faith, trusting in him alone, and that, that his atonement for sin was enough. And the promise of the gospel is that as Jesus said, The one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. I will receive him. What what kindness? What kindness. If you've not tasted of that kindness, I would love to talk with you or talk to someone sitting around you, and we'd love to share more about that. But Brothers and sisters, he's speaking to those who have tasted of this kindness, who know the goodness of the Lord and salvation. And he says, since you have indeed tasted that the Lord is good, there's nothing you should want more than to, than to experience the nourishment from this God. From, from, from this one who has been so kind and, and that should drive us to crave this nourishment from him. All right, listen, we we weren't just made, and this is what's clear, we weren't just made to crave nourishment from God. We were commanded to it. Isn't that kind of interesting when you think about it? It's very difficult to tell people to desire something. It's like me telling uh, one of my daughters, telling Katie this afternoon, Katie, I love you. Desire to watch golf with me this afternoon on TV. How is that possible? <laughs> I could command her, I'm your father, you must watch golf with me this afternoon. But to say, desire to do it, want to do it, that's, that's different. Or try commanding a kid or many adults. Crave Brussels sprouts. Uh, we, we don't tell people to crave food. We, people people like foods. They don't like foods. It's silly to command them to crave something. So, if you're the one being told to crave Brussels sprouts, um, you might say to the one who's commanding you, it's easy for you to say because you like Brussels sprouts. But I don't. Difficult for me to eat them, period. And to want to eat them is impossible. And so, but just... I realize maybe you're here this morning, and you're experiencing the same kind of thing. Long for pure spiritual milk for God's word. How how can we be commanded to crave something? Isn't it we either have it, have the desire, or we don't? Or maybe the question how can how can we crave? How can we crow? in our obedience to this command to crave pure spiritual milk together as church and you individually as members of it. How can we become an increasingly hungry church? Hungry like a newborn infant is hungry. Crying desperately for it. Well, just a couple of thoughts. One, we start here. We, we pray. We talk to God about that. Pray and ask God to grow this desire in us, in you, in, in this church body. God will grow in us what He commands of us. He will help us. He will answer that prayer. Another thing. Is there junk food in your life that, 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 that's killing your appetite? Or, to use the analogy earlier, is there, is there, are, you, are you throwing compost on the table while you're trying to develop a craving for this food? is our sin or some of these sins that were listed above or other sins that are, that are that 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 are in your life that are just just destroying your appetite for God's word if so confess it to the lord forsake it turn from it longing for pure spiritual milk it can't flourish in a heart that is that in the same heart that's full of malice and envy and slander and hypocrisy and deceit sins or maybe it's not some outright sin it's just stuff it, you've, you've allowed too much other things not immoral things but other things to crowd in and television and games and distractions and entertainment and, and it's just crouching out and snuffing out that longing And so maybe there needs to be some reordering in your life but listen if Christ is powerful enough to make you a new creature to cause you to be born again from death to life from darkness to light if he can do that, he is powerful enough to create stronger cravings in you and in this church for his nourishment. He is able. Listen, the, the reason we're called to long for pure spiritual milk is because we don't have what we need in ourselves. I said this earlier, but I'm saying it again. We, we couldn't make ourselves born again, and we cannot make ourselves grow on our own. This is not the way we've been made. This is not the way that it works. We need Christ. We need Him. John 15, Jesus makes this very clear to His disciples. Peter being in the room as He's speaking these words before He's about to go to the cross. And He says simply, John 15 verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in Me and I in him He it is that bears much fruit. Listen, for apart from me, you can do nothing. We must be consciously, um, deliberately dependent upon Christ. We cling to Him. We we depend upon Him. Bearing fruit, it's not not just doing good things for Jesus. No, that's not it. It's, It's the life of the vine in the branch. It's Christ in us. And so that's that's what it is. We're seeing this long for the pure miracle of the word. It's like all right, I just gotta just discipline myself to study my Bible more and to read it more. You may need to discipline yourself to open the Bible. It's not magic. But what we're saying and when he when when the, the command is not just a, a duty, it's a it's a desire. He says, You need me. Crave nourishment from me, the one who is who is. Allowed you to taste my kindness, the one who's caused you to be born again to a living hope through this living and abiding and imperishable word, and the one who's given you this inheritance that will never pass away. If you want to grow, it's going to be by abiding in me, receiving nourishment from me. So we got to, we got to think in that lens. What is the very next verse? We'll see this starting next week. So as you come to him, a living stone. It's not just, it's, 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 it's personal, it's Jesus that we come to. And it's, we're saying, I need nourishment from you. You're, the pure spiritual milk is the word that you have given me. And by which, without, without which, I cannot grow. And so he says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Father, would you help us to grow stronger cravings for nourishment that we can cannot provide ourselves we look to other places and other things and we look to people we look to um, thoughts of men we look to uh, change of uh, kind of circumstance we, we look for other things that we, for nourishment to, if we could just do this then we would grow But you, but you say to us God and you invite us and you command us Father look to you the to Christ, look to the, the, the word by which we've been born again. And so, Father, may we, again, not just individually, but certainly individually, Father, but even as a church family, God, grow our hunger, grow our craving for your word. Wherever these sins, wherever gossip is, is present, wherever envy and hypocrisy, and deceit, and wherever these things are realities, Father, just root them out of our body and of our church body, so that the deck is cleared, so that, as we saw last week, love, and this week, longing can thrive. Lord, you please do it in us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.